This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Well may we say God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 94 for Tuesday 28th of May 2019. I'm Jeremy Sear and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host or a returning guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to our country, what's likely to happen and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest host is returning guest host Denise Pierco. Welcome back Denise. Hello. Hello. And are you excited to be joining me in the first day after his ascension of our great and glorious Labour leader uh, Anthony Albanese? I didn't realize that we had created a church to elbow but sure a yes. church to elbow yeah i didn't realize we were worshiping him as our great glorious labor leader but... you're from his old seat of grain you, you were living well not from i mean obviously you're from from slightly outside his electorate in like canada but <laughs> your most recent prior to coming to the um to victoria stan and producing quiet children weren't you you were living in uh, newtown in in an ablo's electorate in fact, I was. I was living in Greenlow. Um, I never voted for him. Uh, now, I think that that's a reasonable thing to say, and I, I think one of the most infuriating things this entire week has been hearing the commentariat call Albo a lefty. Uh, it almost is up there with Chris Mitchell and the Australian calling news.com.au very left-wing. You know, I think there was a point that he was the left-wing of the Labour Party, and I think that was about when I moved to Australia, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah, well, regular listeners of the podcast might remember back in episode 59, we had some, and I'm sure everybody's, I'm sure if I just describe episode 59, everybody's like, oh yes, that was, uh, that was the episode for July 21st last year. Yes, I remember that one. Um, you know, I've got, I've got it on my, my little reminder that sits next to me everywhere I go, just in case somebody quizzes me on what episodes of, of Well May We Say came out when and uh, what was on them. But anyway, you will remember, um, people who are very, very committed to the podcast, uh, that it was at 29 minutes into that episode, episode 59, that we had some chilling, chilling audio from Albo, in which Albo was talking to Sherry Markson and uh, basically crapped all over the left, uh, particularly in relation to refugees. Now, I'm not going to play the new audio now. You can go back and look at it. Episode 59 will still be available on your podcast app if you like, and there's a timestamp for the 59-minute bit where um, Albo portrays... Yeah, 29-minute bit where Albo betrays everyone. Um, but the bottom line is... Albo has long since stopped being a person who uh, represents the left. Uh, and in particular on the subject of refugees, uh, even if he did suddenly become uh, humane and compassionate and, and uh, decide that the cruel and vastly expensive monstrosity that is what we do offshore uh, is something that the Labor Party should actually argue against and fight against uh, and um, recognise that they were wrong to ever ape the libs on it, he can't because the libs have this audio of him telling them telling the world that, that the ALP was wrong, that they made mistakes and that the Libs were right all along. Hi. I'm not going to play you the audio because it's depressing, but it's there. If you doubt me, go back and listen to it. 
And now he has another opportunity to backflip and say that he supports what the Liberals want because Angus Taylor's called for Labour to agree with their emissions target and to bipartisanly back their uh, climate policy. Yes, because uh, what the ALP definitely has a mandate to do from their voters is to form a coalition with the LNP. Like, that's definitely what they were promising their voters before the election. But you have to realise what's more important is the coalition got into government, and the coalition have a mandate to pass this. So therefore, all the other parties shouldn't vote for their own policy, shouldn't do any of that. They should just fall in line. That's not how parliamentary democracy works. And their job, specifically, each member of parliament has the duty to vote in accordance with what they promised their voters before the election. That they do. And I understand that Albo is up in Queensland at the moment trying to figure out how to thread the very fine line between complete capitulation on Nadani that the state Labor government under Palaszczuk is having to do, given you know one newspaper company's state, uh, which is not the case slightly for, uh, for, Alba, for Labor federally. Um, but they, yes, they're after the uh, front page with the Premier's face in literal gun crosshairs. Which was absolutely horrible and absolutely failure of editorial intelligence. Yeah, and an apology doesn't cut it. And I don't, I don't even think that, that it's... I don't think they genuinely regret it. I think they got what no. they wanted from it. Yes. And so whether Labor can figure out the way to uh, actually endorse people's jobs in the way that they need to, they need to find a way of saying, yes, we respect your jobs and we respect you as human beings who work in this industry, but that industry is in and of itself uh, deeply problematic yes. for the country and the planet. Uh, and we need to both uh, phase that out whilst also making sure that we look after each and every one of you. Yes, and all of those other jobs that them rely on, the mine being nearby, etc., which is, I think, more where the economic impact comes, the towns that build up around mines. So you have to find ways of, of providing those opportunities, and it's not something that should be beyond progressive centre of parties. It really shouldn't. So there were two main things that I wanted us to cover in this week's episode. Uh, one is the lessons that the ALP can learn from the recent election and uh, hopefully apply next time since they don't get to go and redo this one. And secondly, uh, how they can use the moment of appointing a new leader to hopefully reframe where we are and move forward in a way that means that they're less likely to lose in 2022. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so there are a couple of examples that um, did occur to me this week uh, that would be worth pointing out. So um, in terms of how they could have run the campaign, uh, and obviously we've made the point that one of the most fundamental things is that when people are close to the line, they are easily uh, scared by scare campaigns. They don't have, they, they can't afford, they can't run the risk of a change if it's going to get even worse when they've got, they've got no... No buffer. There's no, no buffer. margin. They, they've got nothing to spare. So, yeah. Um, and in that case, uh, and unfortunately that's often the side effect of uh, nearly policies that, that they grind uh, workers down to that state and then they, then they hit them with scare campaigns. So the ALP just needs to anticipate that and to be ready to go with their own um, undoubtedly more accurate scare campaigns first. Um, and the one that the Libs continually take them for being the Medi-Scare thing where they were, uh, before the last election, threatening to or saying that the Libs were going to uh, run Medicare down. Uh, and Malcolm Turnbull was outraged at this this foul lie. Except, of course, Medicare is there is a freeze, and they are running Medicare down. They and that's, it wasn't are. it was Medi scary, but it wasn't Medi a Medi scare in the sense of a false scare. Yeah. Whereas it wasn't Medi lies. No. Whereas the death tax thing from the Libs was a lie. Sadly, because like an inheritance tax is a an equitable way of raising money, but the the Labor Party doesn't have any plan to bring in an inheritance tax. Uh, 
the one that they, in fact, they think it was going around on Facebook that it was going to be a forty percent tax on like low value houses. When even even the people the people proposing an inheritance tax, being the Greens, were talking about on estates above five or ten million dollars. Which you know, is it most people? No, and I'm not really quite sure why a five or ten million dollar uh, bounty falling into somebody's lap shouldn't be taxed. Like you go and work, you earn an income, you get taxed. Why on earth should you get five or ten million dollars without it being taxed for money which you didn't even earn? You didn't work for it wasn't anyway. Um, so those were actual lies. Uh, so the retiree tax thing, the idea that 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 uh, the franking credit thing was a tax was they were going to be taxing retirees, which convinced people that they were actually going to be taxed even if they had. It also convinced people that if the liberals were re-elected, they were suddenly going to be getting money from these franking credits, like a few thousand dollars a year, even when they own no shares. Yeah. So the bottom line is. Uh, it is people respond better to fear than they do to uh, vague promises that the government will help them at some point in the future, uh, and so you can't run. You can't def- it, it, when there's a campaign like that. You need to be ready to go with the actual taxes to sheet everything back home. Now, in this case, the incumbents have driven your cost of living up. You are everybody is facing significant cost of living pressures, and that should come to bite. The incumbents mm. and Labor failed to do that, and, and uh, as we talked about last time, uh, the Libs were able to turn around um, and, and use that against Labor. It's interesting though because it's not the first campaign the Liberals have run on a basis of fear. I've said before that my first election here, the year I moved here, was Latham versus Howard, and they very much uh, ran a campaign based on fear of immigrants and the, the, the children overboard scandal that had happened and our borders and. And yeah. they really ran. It was a very American fear style campaign. I was shocked by it, in fact. And just the people I was living with were like, Australian election campaigns aren't normally like this. This is really weird. But they keep doing it. They keep finding some issue and making people worried. And Labour should anticipate that. So in this particular case, they couldn't run a scare campaign about refugees, really, because their whole argument is that... Uh, they've stopped the boat. So whilst they can say, under Labour, you'll be swamped with them, you can't sheet that home to people's cost of living pressures now because their whole argument is that we've already stopped them. So I also think that there was a bit of a swing just before, uh, in late last year, with things like the Medivac Bill um, and so forth. Sympathy was actually going towards people who were on Manus and Naru. So with that sympathy, it's harder to then run that campaign. Yeah, but I think, I think that if uh, the numbers were up then the Libs would be able to still say, somehow connect it with your cost of living struggles. But they, mm. the problem is that they can't do it now because they're saying that they stopped them. So you can't run both those things simultaneously. I mean, you but never know. You try. might be... <laughs> well, they didn't bother this time and instead they went with the uh, Labor attacking your... going to your... Um, attacking your wallet. Uh, and in fact, that was all of the quotes we got from Scummer. That was his message the whole way through. You know, his, his Pac-Man thing. That, that's that's Bill Shorten going for your wallet. You know, the mm. Mortal Kombat. That's Bill Shorten going for your wallet by ripping out his... But the, like, billboards, <laughs> the billboards we've saw around town, you know, that's a bill you can't afford. Yeah. Higher taxes. So, what can they do instead? All right, well, let me make some suggestions. One, uh, when the Libs came up with the $387 billion um, nonsense figure, uh, Labor should just hit it straight back at them. Like, instead of going... Uh, in fact, Labor just ran dead on it, and the Libs just kept on being able to punch them with it. Labor sort of was like, oh, well, you know, some of that costing's not quite right. Labor should have just adopted it and gone, that's $387 billion that's not going to you. It's coming from you. Yeah. The Libs are doing a $387 billion giveaway. Use that money, use that figure, and hit them back hard with it immediately. 
57 billion dollars of that. You don't want to say giveaway because giveaway makes people think that they'll get it. It's a 387 dollar billion dollar rot. Rot, yeah. It's a rot is if you don't if you up until cheat. today, if you don't understand the detail of franking credits, then it's you who's paying for them. That's 57 billion dollars. It's not going to you. It's not a gift of 57 dollars. It's 57 billion dollars that is going to come from you. That's 387 billion dollars. That's coming from you. The libs are handing out this money to the people who don't need it. And if you're not in the category that knows that you're getting that cash, you should be aware that you are paying it. That's $387 billion that's coming out of your pocket, and they should have hammered that every day. Yeah. Uh, every, every time that, that the Libs talk about franking credits, they should have been saying, hey, you ordinary taxpayer, you're paying for this. You're yeah. paying for this. The Libs are reaching into your pocket and giving it to people who are much better off than you are, people who can afford the their fancy accountants, people who can, can set things up in such a way that they have access to this thing that you'd never heard of. Exactly, that they have access to assets and trusts and, and all sorts of things to not pay their taxes. Yeah. So um, fundamentally, that figure, that 387, is definitely scary, but the Libs trying to say that it's coming out of your pocket should easily have been able to be battered back by Labor yeah. and be like, no, that $387 billion is coming, uh, it is coming out of your pocket under the Libs and going to these people. Like mm-hmm. that 387, that's a $387 billion hole that they're going to make you pay for. Yeah. These aren't new taxes. These are us closing the, yeah, closing these rewards. Well, that's a separate thing. That, and that's a harder one for them to argue. I don't, I think they should have dodged the taxes thing entirely as in that these are $387 billion of taxes. They should have simply said this is a $387 billion transfer of money from you to them under the Libs. Um, in that uh, 5%, uh, thing with the, the housing, the, the, which has already run into difficulties after the election, but that that I, the thing where they were going to uh, guarantee the loans above five oh, percent for yeah. the mortgages for for first home buyers. So it was like all the things that are wrong with the first home buyer scheme, which is that uh, it just pushes up prices and, and it's basically a taxpayer gift to the people who already own the houses. It doesn't help the the home buyers. No. In fact, it actually makes it worse because people borrow more on top of it. But it was like that, except even worse because. They were just going to have to go into debt more. Like it wasn't even a giveaway from the government. It was just a taxpayers are going to go on the hook, but you don't get the cash. It's just no. that you end up having to borrow more. So Labor, instead of adopting that dumb policy, and Labor needs to learn that if you adopt policies, including the tax cuts that Albo is talking, that maybe he'll maybe he'll vote with the Liberals on their their ridiculous tax cuts. Oh which God, Labor voters definitely. So, well, that, let's talk about that when we get down to what what Labor can do going forward. But giving that giving in on those things is going to be devastating for them in three years. Um, but yeah, Labor, instead of adopting that idiotic policy, they should have hit back at it. That's not that's a the 95% mortgage policy. That's yeah. the policy where you take on a huge amount of debt. Labor could have hit back that back with um, the Keep- Libs are the party of debt. Mm-hmm. Not just national debt, so it would have been a way of linking back in, hey, they've more than doubled the national debt. The Libs are the party of debt. They, they have made the, the public debt worse, and all of their efforts at even doing anything about that are to shove it on you. They want you to increase your private debt. The private yeah, debt want- in Australia has skyrocketed. The leaves of the party of public and private debt. They want you in debt up to your eyeballs. And this 95% mortgage policy of theirs will screw the next generation, fill, flood you with debt. That, I mean, that hits all of the Lib voters in all of their, their, their little pressure points. They, yeah. they don't like debt. They don't like... Um, they, they don't... They're scared of having to pay more. Like, that's a that's a good attack on that isn't it i think that it is and i think it also ties in with um 
it ties in nicely with a few other policies. They need you to have private medical insurance because, so they expect you to pay for it. They're destroying Medicare. You have to have private medical insurance. You have to pay for it. You have to have money up front if you really want the service you want. It's just a way that they're making you, the individual, have to like bear more of the cost, the things that we're supposed to bear together. Yeah. And, and the Libs whole, that would have attacked them on so many levels. The, the Libs are the party of debt. They can't deny it. Like, the facts are they've more than doubled the national debt. They and they should have been talking about that more too. Oh, my God. So, yeah, but it also massively undermines their economic credentials bullshit. The, 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 their bullshit surplus. Whenever they said that, Labor could have pointed out, hang on, your own figures show that, you know, if you got your East-West link, if you got these other things that you're promising... Your your imaginary surplus, which depends on on these ludicrously rosy forecasts, disappears anyway. Hmm. Like this, it's just a nonsense. Like, you know, if, if anybody believes that you, you del- that you're about to deliver a surplus, you know, not not the cliche. I've got a bridge to yeah. sell them, but it, effectively, they could have. Surely, their speechwriters could have come up with some. Back home at Swampland in Florida. There you are. Um, Surely back home it would be more something to do with uh, ice to people who live far north but are not actually Eskimos because that's a racist term for people that's not actually what they're called, is it? Anyway, um, so it seems to me that that Labor needs to learn fundamentally that the way to win election campaigns, um, particularly when people are feeling the cost of living pressures, is not to promise vaguely that the government will give them more public services. Like, do those policies, Mm. that's important, because it's actually important to get a mandate to do those things when you get in. But don't campaign on that. Campaign on these people are screwing you. These people are running up your debt. These people are running up the national debt. These people are making you pay for transfers to their rich mates. Like, the whole commentary after the election is, oh, we'll see, Bill Shorten's top end of town rhetoric didn't work. Class warfare didn't work. It didn't work because he didn't do a good job. He just made it seem like there were losers. He just made it seem like his policy was to uh, take money out of people. And and it's still the American thing of people think that one day they'll they'll be up the top. But what people recognise is that today they're not. Yes. And if your argument is not, you know, he's going to make things harder for the top end of town down the track. If your argument is simply, right now, the Libs are raiding your pocket to give to these people. They're yeah. raiding your pocket. They're raiding your pocket. They're running up your debt. They're running up the country's debt. The party of debt. The party of debt. The party of debt. Surely that's what would hit. I would hope so. I actually thought that some parts of their campaign were fairly effective. I thought that some parts of their campaign with talking about some of the things that they were going to do and some of the public services and public funding they would bring in were, were good. At least they appealed to me, but, you know. I, I agree, and I think they're important to do, and they're a good way of getting people, for the Labour Party, they're a good way of getting progressive voters to come across from things like the Greens, if you weren't also, you know, Yeah, so I think it needs to be refugees. done in conjunction. I think you need to do the one, but you also need to do the other. It can't just be the attack. I, well... But that's the thing. The Libs didn't didn't announce anything positive really at all, and they won on the attack. I just think that fundamentally, in terms of your limited resources that you have to get a message out there, you need to be focusing on every press conference, every interview you talk. You know, mm. you, you have your, your your point that they're coming for your wallet. You have to party hit of that de- idea. Party of debt. You have to hit that idea that the Liberals are good economic managers. Yeah, and the party of debt thing really would have hit because people know that they're in more credit card debt, they're in more mortgage debt. The, all the policies the Libs have announced are debt based. And also they've doubled the national debt. Federal debt isn't necessarily a bad thing. And and agreed. That is also that that is this whole idea that surpluses are good, that national debt, like when interest rates are so low, like this is actually a time where national debt isn't a bad thing at all. You should be investing. Yeah, we should be spending. Yeah, but you cannot sell that in Australia at the moment. No. Fundamentally, the the strongest thing they would have is that, and and to be fair, that is the extent to which they should take the leaves on their ground. The problem is right now, Labor's coming in and saying, 
um, and, and you know they haven't done their full election review, but there's an awful lot of nonsense where they're like, you know, we should, we've we've lost on our policies. We should adopt the liberal policies on these things. You know, we you know we've lost on climate change. We've lost on on the franking credits. You know, we should just abandon those policies. And what they're not realizing is that the lessons that the libs learnt at in 2010 were not let's adopt labor policies. Mm. What they what they did is they adopted very negative tactics. And Labor, if they want to win, shouldn't be adopting Liberal policies. Because if you want Liberal policies, you're not going to vote for the Labor Party, you'll vote for the Liberal Party. Uh, That's absolutely true. In the same way with the papers, you know, as you say with the, uh, said really, you know, like when the Herald Sun, if if the government, if the Victorian government starts doing what the Herald Sun wants, it doesn't mean that they're going to be saying, Labor's great, let's vote Labor next time. No, you would have to go further than the Libs uh, down the right track. And you'd have to do it in such a way that the Libs don't just go slightly further again. And to win the support of that, I, I actually think that fundamentally, and we'll talk about this in a moment too. I think fundamentally, uh, the way Labor Labor needs to have a better approach for dealing with News Limited, and I think they can probably take a leaf out of Trump's book. Fake ah. news, it. Fake news. Fake news. Is that from a Murdoch? Is that true? Or did you read it in a Murdoch paper? Fake news. Just attack them for. Like, I used to see that T-shirt around. Uh, I used to see that T-shirt around Newtown all the time. Is that the truth, or did you read it in the Telegraph? Yeah. Um, but so in terms of things that I think that they, they can learn, I think, I think those are, I think you need to be, they need to be better at, um, frame, at going, and those are examples of how they can do it because fundamentally this thing that the Libs are constantly giving, spending billions of dollars on tax cuts for the rich, Labor, if Labor can't turn that back on, that's coming from your pocket, then they shouldn't be bothering to, what are they doing being the biggest supposedly centre-left party out there and having the huge soapboxes that they have, if they can't make that case, hmm. what use are they? Sadly, instead of uh, learning the lesson that you don't adopt the policies, you can, but you can adopt their uh, tactical approach of, of going hard on cost of living, uh, you have people like Bowen from the Labor Party coming out and saying that uh, you know, the Labor Party has a problem with, with people of faith and it needs to do a better job of appealing to them. Now, um, the only way you can do that, Bowen, Chris, mate, the only way you can do that is by giving the religious right enormous privileges. And if you don't believe me, let me read you from an article that the Australian Christian Lobby uh, put out in the week, 14th of May, just before the election. So this is their, their head, Martin Illis. So this is the mob that Lyle Shelton used to be um, head of uh, before he went and ran for the Australian Conservatives who didn't win a single seat. Ah. <laughs> oh, darn. Now, this is... This, so if you think that you can win back these people by doing Christian-type things, the humanitarian stuff that, that the Bible supposedly says that Jesus actually stood for, that stuff, you think that will win them back? No. You mean like being kind to the poor and refugees and helping others? Yeah, yeah. So this is Martin. Consider the Greens. Not because this is just about them, but as one case study example. I have absolutely no hesitation in saying to all who will listen that they are doggedly opposed to Christianity. Yet they rate wonderfully on a list of, quote, Christian issues. That includes many acts of charity. Their refugee intake is big. Their foreign aid spend would be astonishing. Their expenditure on the less fortunate among us would be massive. So, okay, so he's selling the Greens. Yeah, people who believe in Jesus' message should vote Greens. Excellent point. Oh, wait, no, it's followed by a but. So, but, but before he gets to his but, what he has just done is set out that yeah, if you're a genuinely religious person who believes in the things that your your religion tells you are important, yep. as opposed to policies that are about promoting your religion at the expense of others, promoting your religious 
organizations and institutions um, publicly as if, you know, Jesus spent a whole lot of time saying that, uh, you know, render unto God what is God's and render unto Caesar uh, nothing because everything should go to God and there's no should be no separation between the two. You know, like that famous saying from Jeepers. Yeah. Oh, that time he went into the uh, into the temple where there are all the money lenders and everything and he just said, hey, this is great. Can you guys give me a commission? Yes. Um, so, no, according to the Australian Christian Lobby, and I think this article needs, everybody should be having should have a look at it because it pretty much 100% uh, sets out that their entire policy platform and the entire thing that they push for in, in politics is their own privilege and it has nothing to do with any actual Christian messages in the sense of what, you know, what, what Martin himself calls Christian issues. So, given that Martin has conceded that on the basis of Christian issues you should be voting green, uh, how instead do you vote for Christian issues as he defines them? Uh, first of all, he uh, downplays government providing services and government doing uh, looking after the poor because he thinks that should only be up to private charity because, of course, that's a much more reliable method of looking after the poor. And I suppose if uh, governments were to do that consistently, then there wouldn't be poor people, whereas... Uh, Absolutely, like here in Australia, where we rely on um, charities to provide things like aged care homes and 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 yeah. relief for the poor. Like we don't have poor people or people like sleeping rough. Or right? well, it's like if we had, if you actually had the Centrelink, if you had a consistent social safety net that didn't have people being cut out, that was actually a safety net and not sort of like a loose, yeah, few strings that people could fall then through. Then you wouldn't need to rely on charities to fill the gaps you wouldn't need which would be a massive uh blow to the argument for of religious organizations that they need to have you know tax exempt status and they need to have all these privileges because otherwise i'm sorry these public services these social work services won't be provided well the solution to that would be uh. to do them comprehensively rather than doing them at the capricious whim of various different religious organizations just have the government do it but yes i can understand why if you are a uh, religious person who wants power for religions and you know I used to see it when I used to do um, legal aid crime. You would see people being sent off for uh, programs to help deal with their drug addiction. Now, it would be something you would think that the government would be running, but instead yes. it's religious organisations running it. So what actually happens is that people are given the choice of you can have bail to get out of custody and to go and deal with your drug problem, but you'll have to go off to this program run by this religious organisation where they will indoctrinate you. They will use you at this weak time yeah, to when you're, uh, proselytize. And also when you're rebuilding your life and you're sociologically and psychologically weak, at a weakest point and yeah. the rebuilding, the building blocks they give you to rebuild are infused and imbued with their religion. Which, it, it really, this whole piece goes to undercut this thing where they claim to care about the people that they are helping. Now, if they wanted to do that, then they would support governments doing this comprehensively and consistently and there not being any holes. Clearly, the actions indicate that what they actually want is to be able to use the poor and the vulnerable ah. as a means of spreading their influence, both in terms of, of uh, privileges from the rest of us, but also in terms of specifically being able to use the yeah. power they then have over these vulnerable individuals to promote their religion to them. Like, it's it's terrifying. So Martin tells uh, his readers that what they should be paying attention to, given that they can't look into people's leaders' private lives, you know, without a crystal ball into their private lives, we're less left to rely on our gut instinct, what is publicly known of them, their words and the sum total of their public acts. Um, and then he says that you can figure out what you need to know about them on the basis of... Well, here we go. Um, take what we often call rainbow ideology, all things LGBT, queer, and so forth. It is totalizing. It is relentless, <laughs> as opposed to religion. Anyway, um, it will not be happy until every last drop of opposition is extinguished, right down to the realm of thought. Projection much? Anyway. 
hence, quote, hate speech laws and the like. So we must look for telltale signs of their deeper ideology. What does it oppose? What does it promote? What is its energy directed at? For example, what do they think of Christ and the gospel? In an era of religious freedom concerns, this isn't so hard to discern, and surely it is above all things a litmus test. Seriously, that's the litmus test for Christians, whether or not the religion, whether whether or not a politician promotes Christianity specifically. Oh, not, wow. Um, he says, if they ignore the Easter campaign moratorium, but observe it on Anzac Day as a public demonstration of their indifference to Easter, one asks questions. Or if they perhaps invite the press into their church on Easter to take photos of them? Yes, well, one would consider that that was, in fact, breaking the Easter campaign moratorium. But, but anyway, exactly. that, apparently that one's fine. If they staunchly boycott the Lord's Prayer in Parliament as a statement of their opposition to Christianity, it might tell you something. Except it's not opposition to Christianity. It's opposition to a single religion being represented in Parliament and Parliament being opened by a, reli- by a religious no, prayer. Privileged. One religion privileged above yeah. all the others. And if you are a religious person... Uh, and I feel like we've talked about this previously, but if you're a religious person, um, the thing that you should be more concerned about, in fact, this is one of the things that I would say to the ALP when they're afraid that they don't appeal enough to religious people, um, you need to take this fight back to people like the ACL, and you need to say to them, this sort of stuff where they seek that a religion gets privileged over everybody else's, that is not religious freedom. That is, in fact, the opposite of religious freedom. And if you are okay with that, then presumably the only reason why you're okay with it is that you think that it's your religion that's going to be privileged over all the other religions. Absolutely. Because if it's not your religion, and keep in mind that all of the religions in the world except for one don't agree with you and which think that you should change your views and adopt theirs. Real religious freedom means that there isn't a religion that gets privilege, privileges over everybody else. Um, if you are a religious person you need to take into account that it's possible once this precedent is established, even if your religion is on top right now, that it won't always be on top, and that then you will be being forced to obey another religion or have the other religions prioritised against you. And if you don't think that would bother you, imagine if Parliament was opened every day with a Muslim prayer or a Jewish prayer. You would, I'm willing to bet that the people who think this Christian Lord's Prayer in Parliament thing appeals to would have a real problem with that. But it's exactly the same thing. It is exactly How the same How is that thing. religious freedom? Interestingly enough, I did a test a few years ago that had a question about religious freedom. Oh, the, when you became a citizen? Yes, it was my citizenship test. And it said, what is the definition of religious freedom? And the correct answer was... To have Reading def- the Lord's Prayer in Parliament. No, it was to practice or not practice your religion as you see fit. Oh, clearly that needs fixing. <laughs> We can't have that one out there. Yes. The wrong answers were for everyone to practice the same religion and for no one to be allowed to practice any religion, which is apparently what he thinks the Greens want. Yes. So, and he, look, let's, let's stop talking about Martin Dillers, but yes, his test is it doesn't matter whether you stand for the policies that Christ or any other religious figure would have actually, uh, did in fact advocate for in terms of looking after the poor and vulnerable and so forth. Um, but it's, if you, quote, champion everything LGBT and attack Christian truth on the subject, then your moral compass is dubious and you should be uh, voted against. And fundamentally that tells the ALP, don't try to pander to these people, but do try to talk to the actual flock that they are talking to and point out to them how absurd it is for them to be in church saying that they believe in these things from this book and then voting against what even the people who are opposed to the Greens from their own movement, even the ACL concedes are actual Christian policies in line with Christian oh principles. Oh my goodness. Anyway, while we're on the Greens, uh, Nick Carr has returned to tell us what is stuck in his craw. Hello, uh, listeners of Well May We Say. Um, thanks for having me back to do Stuck in My Craw. Uh, what is stuck in my craw this week? Um... Honestly, quite a bit. 
after the election results, I have to be honest, as a progressive, I am feeling very lost and defeated. I think the thing that has jammed the furthest in my craw is just how effectively the left have been delegitimized. It seems almost every time I talk to someone outside of my social circles about politics, the first thing they say in reference to the Greens or progressive thought is that somehow it's really extreme. Uh, the Greens are extreme. We had um, Greg Sheridan on Q&A only a couple of weeks ago carrying on like the Greens were the most extreme party he'd ever seen when, you know, with parties like Fraser Anning's Conservative Party, we had a representative of our Senate with definite Nazi sympathies, like, but somehow the Greens are the extreme ones. I'm just really at a loss to see how any of the Greens policies aren't very fair, reasonable and attractive to all voters. Um, they want to seriously combat climate change. Even if everything the climate, climate deniers claims turn out to be true, how is it not far more sensible to more quickly move to a system in which energy is captured and stored from infinite sources with much less intensive processes required to produce energy? How have the right so effectively turned caring about the environment in which we exist into a flaw? I, I just I just don't know how well they've done it so well. Um, Greens just want to improve education and health services and affordable housing for all. I just who in their right mind wouldn't want that? Um, they want to clean up politics. Time and again, the public are faced with yeah, more and more spending scandals by our politicians. Um, people are constantly complaining, uh, you know, that every, everyone acknowledges that outside interests are buying the major parties off. But then when push comes to shove, the general public seem to just, just don't have enough anger. Well, they have enough anger to complain about it, but not enough outrage to vote accordingly. Um even the idea of public ownership of core services is now seen as like socialism or the evil socialism. But these assets have been publicly owned before and since being turned over to the glorious free market, costs to the public have only increased for these services. Just imagine where we'd be with respect to just even the NBN if we still own Telstra and all the associated infrastructure. We wouldn't have had to spend billions on the heavily deteriorated Optus network and then billions more fixing it up. NBN could have been rolled out quickly and more effectively because the infrastructure would have already been there. I just I can't possibly see what's so scary or unreasonable about any of these things. Um, most voters say that these are the things they want. Um, and all the major parties just seem to play lip service to a lot of these ideas and claim that they know best how to solve it. However, they've both Labor and, and the Liberal governments ha have been in power for a long, long time now. Uh, and they haven't really had any great, um, uh, you know, ingenious ways of, of coming up, of solving these problems. There's, not, there's nothing new there. It's just more of the same. Um, they've had the power for so long and, and nothing positive, there's been no positive change. If the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, then a large portion of the Australian public voters are definitely insane. Uh, that's what's stuck in my craw. He said something there which really resonated with me, which is how have they made caring about the environment that we live in and that we exist in a bad thing? And that's what they've done. They've made this idea that 
people who want policies that treat the environment fairly, that treat other people fairly, that ensure we have a social safety net, that ensure we educate each other, that ensure that we all get a good start in life. And that includes our environment around us to ensure that we can sustain life. They have turned that into this horrible thing where they look at it and they say, that's extreme and wild. And how dare you think that? Well, it rhymes. Green and extreme both have like long E sounds. Clearly there's truth in rhyming. I would suggest that the the bottom line of that, and you look at it the other thing, like how how is it that you've got the Labour Party now going, I think Abbo was saying, we've got a, it's on the front page of the Oz. We're going to end the class war. We're not going to fight the class war. How have they managed to redefine the term class war, meaning um, the war that the wealthy play, um, fight against the the rest of us um it's somehow been redefined as any efforts to redress that yes any efforts to like it's a war on the rich but apparently the rich don't do anything in reverse like they're, they're not in any way it's, it's only a one-sided and a one-sided fight um and i would suggest the way they've done that is that the people who have all the power uh the people who've got the biggest soapboxes are the people who they're creating the narrative and directing it and they're the people who lose out from there being any actual change. Yes. So they, it is in their interests to, um, well, first of all, what we've been talking about, easy to terrify people that if there's a change, that they'll be the ones paying for it. They don't know yet. Like, the, the change is different. Yeah. Maybe that, their experience of life so far has been, and the experience as they're struggling is that uh, whenever they're, whatever's changing in the world is that it keeps getting worse for them. Therefore, why would they want more change? Change is, like, it's the continuing, continual downward trajectory. So, like, look, just don't, don't change anymore. It just keeps getting worse and worse. So it's easy to get people terrified that if you change something, it'll come out of them. And so that's what they do when you're talking about better funding social security you can convince people that it's going to come out of their pocket somehow when you talk about you know better funding of health and education come out of their pocket uh yeah. you can when you talk about acting on the environment uh even even things where like i went to folks group recently where they, um which was being run by an organization it turns out that we didn't know at the time but um on the subject of uh, switching the energy mix from coal and the people in that focus group were convinced that coal was cheaper and it isn't. No, it's not. It's not the case. But people are, if you don't have a reliable source of information pointing out to you, and we have very unreliable news media who are, who are clearly very partisan and pushing a one particular line, um, and that line being one that is opposed to any action on climate change, um, of course they want to send, send you the message that <laughs> if you do something if uh, we we reduce our carbon emissions then it must come out of their pocket as, as it happens you can actually in this case it's not a zero-sum game we can in fact move to renewable energy and it would be cheaper uh, and in fact the lives own modeling has previously shown that a higher renewable energy target actually lowers energy costs uh, but it's very easy to tell people that that you know if something good happens they must somebody's gonna have to pay for it and it's probably going to be you because you're the one who normally pays for it um, and then even on the things that it's really impossible to sell people that they'll be paying for, that's why the right has all of the social issues. So it's oh. like, okay, well, in this particular thing, clearly, uh, you know, if the, the, that party gets in, you'll get this amount of money out of them, okay, uh, but you'll lose something else that you have. You'll lose your privilege as a white person. Yeah. You'll lose your privilege as a straight person. You'll, you know, the things that the things that you won't admit openly you take, you know, the, the privileges that you currently have, if it's not money those will be taken from you. And so yeah. they're constantly able to find the stuff that people are afraid of losing, that they've got something 
you make them afraid of losing it, and that you tell them that if the and there's a plausible case to be made that those that those things, particularly when you're talking about that they should vote against egalitarian parties, well, yeah, the point of egalitarian policy is to take away people's privileges and have you know which which is not it sounds bad. Oh my goodness, I'm going to lose a privilege. But the point of it is that privileges are privileges over other people, and a better society doesn't have anyone privileged over other people. But um, it's well, very easy to tell the people who are currently privileged that they're going to the other thing screwed that, by. The other thing that's hard is that just because people have one privilege doesn't mean that they have others. Yeah, that's how you can sell it to the poor. Yeah. They've still got something to lose. You yes. make them frightened of losing some, one of their privileges they have. And they still have a hard life. They just might not have as hard a life as someone else because of other privileges that they have. Yeah, these are people who are still being screwed, but there is an aspect of their lives that's not why they're being screwed. Uh, where other people are being screwed, and, yes. and by changing it, so look. The answer to Nick's question is why is how's it people that um, end up voting against stuff that they say they believe in? Because when it comes to election time, the crunch time, they uh, get sold by the biggest media outlets out there, by the biggest soapboxes, and also by lying, lying liars on Facebook. That something that is important to them, something they've got to lose, they will lose. Yeah, and so it's easy to frighten people, particularly the more the more that they get screwed down to the the the. Bottom line, the, you know, the, the edge of edge of survival, the easier they are to frighten on this stuff. I mean, the other thing I'd I say about um, what Nick was pointing out in terms of the Greens being portrayed as extremist is how absolutely ridiculous the framing of left and right is in this country to the yes. point where. So Chris Mitchell writing in the Australian this week, uh, actually, so the Australian, the right wing Australian news, basically the IPA in, in print form, uh, had an, an article called "The ABC gave us group think on steroids." And his, his basic argument is that the ABC is incredibly biased towards the ALP. Uh, in fact, the headline is: "Was the ABC deliberately biased towards the ALP at the federal election, or was its gross fail just a problem of group think?" Uh, the gross fail in the question being that, uh, like every other political journalist and the bookies, the ABC. Journalists thought that Labor was going to win. Everyone thought Labor was going to win. Yeah, Labor thought Labor was going to win. The Liberals thought Labor was going to win. Apparently, that is biased towards Labor. In fact, that's even more ridiculous in Australia, where actually the, you want to be the underdog. So, yeah. like, if the Labor Party had a choice, they wouldn't be promoting themselves as definitely going to win. That's no, not how you win an no, election. You no. actually say, "No, I, you know, we probably won't." You, It'll be tight. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I don't see how that's the ALP would be a pro ALP thing to be doing anyway. But okay. Um, but in terms of the framing of, of Australian uh, politics, so Chris Mitchell, he says, Kenny asked why, if there were a range of views at Sky News, did ever, literally everyone at the much larger ABC fall in behind the Labour narrative? Why, if there were a range of views at Sky News? What is the range? He doesn't actually say how how there's a range of views on Sky, <laughs> from from far right to insane right. Mm. But um, he says that, uh, think of this paper's writers from the left. Troy Bramston... Philip Adams, Graham Richardson, Alan Kohler, and from the left of the coalition, Peter Van Onselen and Nikki Sava. That's that's the Australian being left. That's those are the left wingers at the Australian. He, does he understand that his left hand is not his right hand? Like, does he? Well, they're, does he they're know? left. They're lefter than other people at the Australian. They're lefter than Janet Albertson or lefter than Chris Kenny or Alan Jones. But that's it's a relative left. It's. That, that, those That's people like veering left instead of a sharp hit turn. Those those are not people who like. I, I love that the Australian tells people who it, it tells. It's trying to tell us who the left are, not people that the left nominates, not people ah. that lefties actually say. Yeah, this is actually progressive policy. These are what we like. Th- that is as far right in the left as you can get. Um, and this is the one that that, that cracked me up. Quote. 
The nation's biggest website, newscorpaustraliasnews.com.au, is very left-wing. I, I, again, I don't think they understand what that means. Well, they have, you know, it's not like there's a, an objective definition of left-wing, but I, I would say that their definition of left-wing and my definition of left-wing would be quite different, and I would love to know, like, well, I mean, if that's your definition of left-wing, then sure, the Greens are extreme, because they're actually progressive. Like, I would say that you would put a, um, like, if you defined the status quo as the centre and moves towards um, more, uh, you know, tax cuts for the rich and more... Uh-huh. Uh, uh, more power for the corporate world, I would say that's right. And I would say that, you know, um, advocating for, you know, literally cutting cutting off immigration and, uh, you know, starving the... Yeah. Cutting off... Selling off the ABC and uh, cutting... Destroying Centrelink and so forth and cutting off Medicare. So that would be far right, I would say. And then on the left, I would say, you know, some part of left is let's return to, say, the tax and uh, public service balance of, say, the 70s. And I would say far left would be, you know, abolish private schools and private health. Um, yeah. and Like, that would that seems to me to be a reasonable kind of ideological spectrum. I but, think that that is. But no, nobody in the Australian is, is left on that. Nobody in New Zealand is left on that at all. No, they're, they're nowhere near left. Anyway, let's get on to the second part of what we wanted to do, which is suggestions for the ALP with its new leader. So it seems to me that this is a valuable opportunity for the ALP to reframe. And the media decided to pay attention to the new leader and give punters a chance to hear what he stands for. It's not an opportunity to just completely cave to the libs because then voters will just switch off and go, cool, I'll just keep voting for the libs then. But might I make a suggestion? Denise, can I make a suggestion to the ALP? Is it all right? Absolutely, you can, especially because I do find that they listen to this podcast and take your suggestions. I mean, that's that's uh, what got them where they are. Today. No, wait. <laughs> they don't listen to this podcast. That's what got them where they are today. Um, no, but you should make a suggestion, and hopefully these are the sorts of things that we all start thinking about. All right, well, the bottom line is I think they need to be fundamentally from now on and for the next three years up until the next election, they need to be pulling a Tony Abbott and they need to be hammering every single problem that the country faces home to scummo. Most specifically, cost of living, and this should not be impossible. In fact, it should be very straightforward to do this because, in fact, Scummo's policies are, in fact, responsible for mm-hmm. our cost of living pressures. They in are. fact, uh, I see in the uh, was it the Oz this afternoon that um, house prices are about the, the National Bank is busy uh, boasting that uh, in this last week, uh, mortgage applications have skyrocketed, uh, highest have been for six months which means that house prices are going to go up. Absolutely. Making it harder for people to buy uh, their their first home, meaning that investors will pour more money into the market, Uh, and meaning that then those investors will want to recover that money and will raise rents. Yay! So, uh, here's one for starters. Uh, Labor should be hammering. Every time figures come out, they should keep an eye out for figures on what's happening to national rents. And every time the rents go up, they should be sheeting that home to Scummo and saying, you promised, you said before the election that if we had negative gearing uh, changes, if we had capital gains changes, if there was some downward pressure placed on prices, that rents would skyrocket. Yeah. You and your mates in the property council sent out letters threatening, terrifying renters that their rents were going to skyrocket. All of those renters can look at the, what's been happening to them over the last six months, over the last year, and see that their rents have been skyrocketing. Absolutely. So, everybody, if you're out there and your rents are going up, this is why. It is downward pressure on prices. 
not actually dro- making house prices go negative, but may- dropping them so they dropping the pressure that's bringing them upwards, that slows the rent increases. Um, and here's the evidence. So every rent increase, uh, every so I mean, and, and that one they can pitch directly at, at aspirationals. We are the party who actually wants aspirational uh, voters to have a chance. Like we want, I mean, the, the Liberal Party are interested in people who already have money getting more properties. Uh-huh. We're interested in your aspiration to have your own home, have a home you own and live in. That's a that's a very basic. It's actually quite a conservative um, aspiration. It is. But the ALP would be saying. We stand for you having that opportunity, whereas the Libs stand for you being in debt up to your eyeballs uh, and uh, prices continuing to skyrocket ahead of you. Not being able to afford your life, not being able to, wondering if you're even going to be able to make your next mortgage payment or if you're going to lose that home you're living in. Yeah, and if you're renting, making your rent more expensive. Mm. So, um, in terms of cost of living, now one of the big things that the Libs hammered and uh, the election campaign was they they tried to convince people that uh, power prices were a real focus and that uh, if you were worried about your power prices, you should vote for the Libs. Okay, well, straight after Scummo got back in, power prices, the wholesale power prices just jumped. So the, the, the new ALP leader can be saying straight away, actually, not only are the Libs terrible on climate change, but they're actually terrible on power prices. And uh, it, may, it may seem like um, it's unrealistic that we could you could have you know, both action on climate change and decent power prices. It might seem like, no, I mean, you have to lose on one of those because otherwise, why is there debate over this? Ah. But the bottom line is, the the only reason there's a debate over this is because of people who, uh, who, because of the coal lobby. It's certainly not on the basis of power prices because coal is not the cheapest way of producing power. And you can tell that the Libs' uh, promise not to do anything on climate change isn't helping your power prices because, look, they just jumped. Exactly. So, like... Housing costs, power prices. Apparently, I heard on the news uh, while driving earlier today that beef and lamb prices are are skyrocketing now because of drought. So this is the moment to be standing up there. Albo can be standing up there and saying, "People voted for the libs, thinking that they were going to do something about cost of living." And all of these ways, it's uh, even we in the ALP. Did, we, I mean, we knew that Scott Morrison was talking nonsense and that he was he was trying to hoodwink people, um, but we didn't expect that within a week. All yeah. these things would skyrocket, but well, that's how bad they are. In some cases, yeah. Um, so under the libs, you, you, I mean, Morrison will come back and say, "Oh, he's got a plan to lower these prices." But he's been in government now. He, he for um, he, he's been in government since last year. He has just won an election, and in response to his successful him, him winning that election, mm. all those things have gone up. You should just look at your bills. Look at your next bills, everybody. We are the party that's actually going to concern about your cost of living pressures and the, the Morrison government, the Liberals are the party that say they care about it, but clearly don't. They really just want you to be in more debt. And in relation to people digging into your pocket, they are determined to make you pay that $387 billion they've promised people who aren't you. Yes. Like, the ALP can hammer right now all the ways in which... The libs are hurting people, and it will be reinforced every time people get another higher power bill, every time their their rents go up. But that doesn't work unless the ALP hammers it so hard that the commercial media can't ignore it. It has to be the thing that they say repeatedly over and over and over until it sinks in. But I really think they need to do that. And they need to do it quickly. Yeah, because if you don't do it now... People don't have a framework. They're, they're ready for Morrison to give them a new framework to somehow... Bla- well, as, as happened in the election, 
to say, well, uh, it might get worse and, and after you've already been screwed. But if you've set it up ahead of time, particularly now that Morrison has just had an election campaign where he's promising that he'll, he'll improve all of these things, then this is the time to say, watch it. Everybody look at your thing, your prize. Every time that they go up, it's not just a thing that's happening around Morrison. It's a thing that he promised to do something about, and it's a thing that, it's like, you can't say that it's sort of global forces, it's stuff outside his control, if they jump specifically because he won. Yep. But now is the time to make that point, and then it sinks in, it sits in people's brains as all these things get worse, which they will. They absolutely will. Um, and in relation to the faith thing, as we talked about earlier, it, I, I think the Labor Party should be standing up right now and saying, um, look, we know that people of faith aren't represented by the Lyle Sheltons of the world, that, that they actually believe in um, the things that, anyway, well, in the case of Christians, they do believe in the things that, that Jesus talked about. And, you know, we're the policy, the party that actually cares about that. You know, in order to boost that, it would be nice if the ALP actually committed to raising new start, so that was actually true. Um, like at the moment, they're just not quite as bad as the libs. Yeah. Um, oh, it's like, oh, of course, our, you know, it'll raise eventually. Oh, great. But in terms of the religious freedom stuff, they should be saying straight away this stuff. Like, again, fear is a powerful motivator. They should be shouting to religious people, this hits you more than, any, than most of us. This bit hits you more than secular people because your religion um, is more, not... It's threatened less by people who don't have any religion than it is by people who have a religion that's different from yours mm. and getting to impose that on you. You don't think about it. You want religious freedom, not, other, not the risk of other people having religious privilege over you. And again, if you think that you're the ones who will get the privilege this time... That can change. Yeah, don't, don't rely... The, the only way that you stay safe from that happening to you, that somebody else has religious privilege over you is to resist any moves to entrench those privileges now. The thing that you should be afraid of is is governments giving those powers to people that they like. Mm. I would have thought that those are all winning arguments for Labor and Labor can do them, particularly the cost of living stuff, particularly the, you know, every time... You really need to frame it so every time people see the words tax cuts and see the vast amounts of billions of dollars that they're talking about, that they immediately realise that money's coming from me. Yes. That they don't... Well, and it's also part of it is reframing the idea that paying taxes is bad. That's a that's a bigger one. And I agree with you. And I think that's part of... They need to stop trying to wait the libs on tax cuts and, and making it... Yeah, defining it that tax cuts are a good yeah. thing. But in terms of the, the base, straightforward politics of repeating over and over, that's a harder sell than simply. Those tax cuts aren't to you, they're from you. Yes. And hammer that so that people recognise that really they go, yeah, really it's coming out. Where they say that those taxes are coming out of your pocket and Bill Shorten's got his hands in your wallet. No, it's Morrison who has his hands in your wallet. Absolutely, he does. And you'll be able to see it. And you know, what, the $50 or whatever they're going to give you for power prices isn't actually going to help you in the long run. Well, so it's going to be less than they go up by. Yeah. Yeah. And any any small amount you get in, in a tax cut will be way less than the amount that you're losing in services and um, and other, it comes out. You know that it's coming out of you somewhere. It's not coming out of the people at the top. I just think that Labor needs to seize that now and have the discipline to be hammering that message. I'm. I mean, in 2010, when Abbott uh, failed to get the numbers, he didn't turn around and be and and go. Oh well, I suppose we'll just sort of sit down for a little while. They turned around and hammered every single. Oh, absolutely. He went in hard. And every time power prices went up, they blamed Labor. Mm. 
every time and they blame the carbon tax and yeah but labor can do that they can turn around and blame because morrison particularly because they've just happened mm. right after he wins but i i if the labor party doesn't frame it that way now and the only way to frame it that way now given that they have a hostile media oh that's the other thing i would suggest I really think they do need to do the fake news thing with with everything from News Limited. They need to basically treat it the way that Trump treats genuine news outlets. Absolutely. Um, and to the point, so at that point, it doesn't really matter. Though. What what what, what we've seen in the Trump situation is that the the harder he goes at them, people stop paying attention to them. Like yeah, their their do. stories are immediately. It's almost one of the things where by picking the fight, you actually immediately harm their objectivity and independence anyway if they had it and in this case they never had it in the first place but if you just highlight that from the very beginning then people you know they'll, they'll go mad but how much more mad can they go not a lot what's new Zealand gonna how's new Zealand gonna be worse on labor than it is already i actually not sure they could treat them like the greens well they would have to ignore them completely which would actually maybe be better yeah i mean everything they do they are a little bit worse as the Greens, but barely. Like it's... Oh, they ignore them or they sledge them. It's one of the two things. Yeah, but they do that with Labour too. Like oh, but they but it's except with Labour, they rarely ignore them and they constantly sledge them. What they should be looking for is opportunities to call out fake news. So every time News Limited overreaches and and is and does bullshit, the ALP should be hammering them for those things in particular. So just to, so that that bleeds over to everything they do. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I just think that now is the time to do it, and I think the only way that they get that, that it gets through, given the hostility of the media, is for them to make that the thing that they hammer over and over again. That they have the focus to just be like, you know, your cost of living is going up under scummo. Your cost of living is going up under scummo. Look, power prices just jumped under scummo. Make that sure that that's in every interview. Make sure that that's you go back to it multiple times. Yeah. Make sure that it's impossible for them to ignore it. I think Labor can do that. I think they can too. I think that would massively set them up for a much better position to. for twenty twenty. Look, no, I don't either, which is why I've long since given up on labour. But look, I've got, I've got a hope. I've got a hope that they can do it. Yeah, well, you know, he really wants to be a bipartisan leader. Uh, but does it? I mean, the other message that I think that labour would do well to start with, and in fact could uh, get a bit of uh, traction by proposing legislation to do this, would be to protect the AEC from being impersonated. Um, and put up legislation which would pro- uh, protect things like its colours, its fonts, its designs, those sorts of things, similar to the way that the, the government already protects uh, the word Anzac, Anzac biscuits, all those things, are covered by a specific piece of government legislation. And if it covers the word Anzac, surely the AEC is something that also deserves that kind of protection. And we already have protections uh, in like, trademark law for things like colours, so like Cadbury purple sort of thing. Yeah. So it seems to me that the AEC should have that protection and it's a thing that Labor can actually propose now and propose it as a bipartisan thing. So that, you know, we're all upset about the, uh, you know, we all think it's a worry people impersonating the AEC. So we put this up very straightforward, very, it should be very uncontroversial. We, we invite the other uh, parties, particularly we invite the Liberals to vote for it. Um, they don't need to go any further on that uh, while that's happening, except they can, because there's obviously the other story, which they can have... Um, uh, friend, friendly media people uh, talking about us. So an example, which is the what happened in the seat of Chisholm, where and Kuyong as well, apparently. Yeah, where people were pretending to be the AEC and putting things in in uh, Chinese characters, saying to vote for the Liberal candidate, uh, but in AEC colours, AEC font. They had the um, the authorisation 
in Chinese characters so that it wasn't obvious whether it did in fact have authorization at all to anybody who wasn't uh, a Chinese-speaking person. Well, it's actually interesting because apparently it's just come out that WeChat was also used to send those out. And it was actually sent from Gladys Liu's account, uh, basically saying that if they didn't vote one for Ms. Liu to cop, it would be an informal vote and any which suggested any other preferencing would result in an invalid ballot. So apparently the Guardian and ABC understand it that the uh, that Labour will be challenging that. Yeah, I think uh, and I think in I think in. um... Frydenberg's electorate there, uh, Oliver Yates is challenging. So there are some challenges that will happen. But well, and the one about well, the one Oliver Yates is that's happening is will cover both um, Kuyong and Chisholm. Now, can I just uh, say to the uh, ALP brokers who are being campaigning on Twitter to have people's votes uh, declared invalid if their first preference candidate was invalid, like a UAP one, who, and then they're like, well, they shouldn't get to divert their preferences to other people because they they shouldn't have been allowed to run. And like, no. Uh, people's preferences are their own. They don't belong to the candidate. The candidate who's done the wrong thing doesn't get to own the, the votes, the other preferences of the people who, even if they voted one for that candidate. Mm. Uh, and the speed at which some people are coming out and be like, yeah, those should be, all those votes should be discarded. No, no, stop doing that. That's a ridiculous idea. But in terms of the AEC thing, like, I think the ALP can uh, hammer this in such a way that it, it is clear that um, the message gets across that the Libs cheated. So it's not just the message on the other half being uh, in relation to you know rents and power prices and housing affordability and you paying for tax cuts and all those sorts of things. Scummo lied. Uh, highlighting this also highlights to voters that he cheated as well. So if we can, you know, I think it's important when the Libs are trying to say they've got a mandate to do terrible things mm. that the uh, concept, the, the notion that they lied and cheated be, be sort of spreading as much as possible. And I do think that there is a, a legitimate basis for pushing legislation to protect the AEC from being impersonated. I agree. Um, so it's actually important for future elections. But also I think there's a, a, a political benefit to pushing it at this point because it highlights that the this current government only got through by lying and cheating. That it did. Anyway, we'll watch what Albo does. I'm pessimistic at this point, but I really do think that Labor has an opportunity and they can seize it. Like, seriously, the power prices thing is such a huge one to seize on, the fact that it jumped like on the the Monday after Scummo won, like, and the fact that house prices are already yeah. going up, like, if Labor can't make if Labor can't sheet the power price thing home to Scummo, then what's what is the use of them? I'm not sure. Anyway, thank you for coming back to the podcast. Uh, this one took a little while to get up, but we do apologise. We there had... were there are some really great quality Foley effects that pop in and out of the background. We worked really hard um, to get authentic sound effect machines happening. Oh, yeah, we wanted to make it sound as if we were in a room with a toddler and an infant who were trying desperately to interrupt the podcast at all times. Who uh, didn't want a nap. So we... Um, obviously, we don't have those, but what we decided to do was... Uh, yeah, we, in fact, I think what I've actually added in is I've made them sound like they're in the background like I've, I've really sort of blended to them, them. Yeah. and I've blended them around a bit so that it sounds like they sound as realistic as possible well, I think it's far superior to the former cat sounds that we used to include anyway thank you to our Patreon subscribers you are how the podcast keeps going thank you to everyone who engages with us on the Twitters at at well may we say thank you to everybody who has left us a positive review on iTunes uh, please feel free to do that because that's how people find the podcast Thank you to Alex Lum for the artwork and Robin Gray for the music. And we will see you all next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.